0: All right, so we're going to talk about love, or on the theme, incredible love. Can everybody hear me OK? Yes. Am I good? All right. Um, and we found that video of kids uh, mimicking seniors telling a story and just thought it was great. That's about love that's gone on for a long, long, long time. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit different topic today. If I was up here telling you that, um, I have a little bit of a ring. You guys hear that? If I was up here telling you about how God wants us to love one another, God wants us to love him, you would have no problem with that. But if I come up here and I say, I'm going to talk to you about loving yourselves, I wonder what kind of reaction you would have. I think it might depend a little bit upon your age, maybe not. Uh, my daughter tells me that that's no problem for millennials, that that's okay. I don't know if that's true or not. I know my generation, that sounds awfully selfish and carnal, to be talking about loving yourself. But it's found in the Bible at least three places very, very specifically. Jesus said it, and we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39. Of course, I'm talking about a healthy self-love here. Jesus said that the first commandment was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I have the message translation up there, so it's a little bit different. To love God with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence. And then the second thing he said is the second commandment, to love others as well as you love yourself. To love others as well as you love yourself. So... What does that mean? It's kind of like a balance, isn't it? That even as, even as is kind of like a gigantic equal sign, or a scale. It means in the same way. So let's say that I love myself a little bit. Then what capacity do I have to love my neighbor, or the one near to me? A little bit, right? What if I? really have problems liking myself at all. And I have a lot of self-criticism. And I'm hard on myself. Even as, that's what I'm going to do to the person near to me, my neighbor. That might be geographically my neighbor. That might be relationally somebody that I live with in the same house, somebody I work with. I'm going to be hard on that person. I'm going to have a lot of criticism for that person. Because it's even as. But if I have a healthy self-love for who God made me to be, then I can love other people. And that is where God wants us to get. So it's not a selfish thing to want to love ourselves or to, have, to need to love ourselves. And it would solve a whole lot of relationship problems that we have. So before I go any further, I do want to address something that we're probably all familiar with. Everybody knows somebody that is maybe kind of selfishly stuck on themselves. And it's no no fun to be around them, because they just want to talk about themselves. And they don't want to ask you any questions. And of course, I want to talk about myself, right? And so that's not the kind of self-love we're talking about. In fact, I would argue somebody like that's kind of insecure, kind of really doesn't know what healthy self-love is, doesn't know about how God gives them significance. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about healthy self-love. A few weeks ago, Dave introduced uh, Father Greg Boyle to us in a book that he was reading called Tattoos on the Heart. And he's a Jesuit priest. If you weren't here and you didn't hear about the story, he's a Jesuit priest in L.A. And about 20 years ago, he started working with um, folks that were in gangs. L.A. was the gang capital of the world. I don't know if it still is. But he worked with these uh, folks that were in gangs, and he tried really hard to help them. And he found out, until they were good and ready to get help, there wasn't anything he could do to help them. And so he just made himself available. And one by one, they started coming to him for help. Sometimes they were, they were jailed. They'd get out of jail. And they decided they didn't want to live this way anymore. And he started Homeboy Industries, which was a place where they could learn a trade. And they could get their GED. And they could even get their tattoos removed. Because they found out it's really hard to get a job at McDonald's if you have profanity tattooed on your forehead. And so that was something they did to help these guys and these women, too. Also, women. But the main thing that Homeboy Industries gives to these folks is a sense of identity that they are valuable, that they are God's unique creations that God has a plan for their life, that they have a destiny. And nobody else, apparently, in their world is doing this. So even sometimes when they graduate from the program, they go off, they get into their own lives, they're doing well, they'll just come back just for that fix of love. That's what it is. It's like a love fix. And that's what we all need. But he talks about kind of funny stories almost. They're funny but sad at the same time. And one of them was about how he interviews then when they come in. And it's just the two of them in the room. And sometimes they're illiterate. So he's filling out the paperwork for them. So he asks them a question. So what's your name? Who, me? <laughs> it's just the two of them in the room. He looks around. Yeah. Yeah, you. What's your name? And then he goes to the next question. Do you have a driver's license? Who, me? He's thinking, "No, your grandmother. I'm wondering if your grandmother still drives." Yes, you. And it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. They have no sense that they are a unique person. They are unique, have a unique personhood to be valued by somebody. And so that's what he's trying to give them and trying to show them a God that values their personhood. And so they have this identity crisis. And also, he says, they have these deep sense of shame and disgrace, like a global sense of failure about their whole person that seeps down into the depths of them. And think about that word, disgrace. It's an interesting kind of word. Dis, to me, without, or void of, grace. Think about how, oh, we need grace so badly. And Jesus came so we didn't have to be disgraced anymore. We didn't have to be without grace. And God doesn't want anybody on the planet feeling like that, feeling shame and disgrace anymore. He wants to give us that identity of grace. So you might think, well, you know, that's those people's problem that are in gangs in L.A. But that's our problem, too. We all have an identity crisis. We all need to know our significance to God. And if we get our identity from something other than Jesus Christ, from the Father, it's bound to disappoint us at some point or another. I mean, we'll get our identity from our, our jobs, from our possessions, from who we are, a mother, a father, a sibling, you know, in a relationship. We get our identity from these things, and that's all right. But at some point, things will change. I am an empty nester. So my identity doesn't come so much from being a mom anymore, even though I still have close relationships with my kids. But my whole identity is not wrapped up in that. I semi-retired from the university. And so I'm doing kind of more um, you know, office task types of jobs. Doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, special skills, let's put it that that way. And so my identity, if it was in my career, then that is gone. So we have to get our identity from something more permanent, something more stable than just the things that can go away that are around us. God's identity heals us, gives us meaning, erases regret and self-hate and criticism. Father Boyle tells a story about a homie. He was in a probation camp, and he asked him, do you have any brothers and sisters? He says, yeah, I have one brother and one sister, but they're good. And Father Boyle said, oh, and that would make you here, he said, locked up. And he tries again, and that makes you, and he said, bad. So Father Boyle wrote, homies live in the zip code of the eternally disappointing. The eternally disappointing. I don't know what it feels like to you when you feel like people are disappointed in you, or if you feel like God is disappointed in you. That's a really bad place to be, isn't it? That's just rough. God doesn't want us to live there. He wants to give us our real identity, and it's not in Disappointment. Have you ever heard of the Witness Protection Program? You guys know what that is? It was started in the 1960s because they couldn't get people to testify against these big crime bosses because they feared for their lives, feared for the lives of their families. And so they came up with this idea well, we're just going to give this person a totally new identity. We're going to give them a new name, we're going to give them a new Social Security, new medical records. They asked for new grades, but they said no. So they couldn't get new grades. Um, A new address, they relocate them. A new history. So everything is going to be different. And the, the thing is, everybody that has stayed in the program since the 1960s, nobody has been killed. Nobody has been murdered. So it's been a really great success. If you follow what they tell you to do and you stay with the program, you're going to be safe. But you have to go ahead and take on a totally new identity. You have to become a new person. And isn't that kind of like what God is asking us to do? To give up our old identity and take on the identity of Christ and become a new person? And it can save our lives, literally can save our lives. Can save us from a whole lot of shame and disgrace and the things that we battle with in this world so God wants us to be in the zip code of love, acceptance, his goodness and his kindness for us. So a shortage of love can't be on the side of God. Because when we look at the cross of Calvary and we see the brutal death that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, and we read what it says in the word of God, there's no way that that could be A shortage from heaven. So I almost have a picture of this great big ocean of love that has been released on our behalf. But somehow when it gets to us, it's maybe this tiny little trickle because somewhere the hose has gotten clogged up and maybe twisted up. You know, if you ever had a hose on and it's twisted up and you got like a little trickle of water and you're thinking, I've got it on full blast. What's going on? Nothing's coming out. We just have to untangle it. So what is it that sometimes keeps us from receiving this love that God has for us? So the shortage must be on our end, which is good news because that means we can do something about it. If it was on God's end, we would be in trouble. If we had to be perfect to get him to love us with all the love that he has, we would be in trouble, right? But it's not on his end, it's on our end, and and we can change that. So the key to healthy self-love is to actually know what the Father, our Creator, thinks about me. The key to healthy self-love for you to know and to love yourself is to know what the Father thinks about you. And you might think, I don't want to know what God thinks about me. Yes, you do. (laughs) You do want to know what God thinks about you because he thinks awesome thoughts that you wouldn't dare to think about yourself. He thinks way higher than you of you than you think about yourself, which is kind of awesome. So I took a quick look at the scriptures. I can't find anywhere that it says that God is disappointed in you. I looked a quick look at the New Testament. I can't see anywhere that God is saying, I'm really disgusted with you. I can't see anywhere that God is saying, I'm really discouraged because of you when I look at you. But this is what he did say. He says, I chose you. You are holy. You are royalty. You are my heir. You're unblemished. You're dearly loved. You're my own possession. You are the body of my son Jesus. And you are the joy set before me. That's just a few of the things that I saw that God says about you and me. God does not just put up with us. Sometimes we think, yeah, God has to love me. Jesus died for me and God has to love me. No, he's not just tolerating us because he has to. He wanted us He desired us. The Bible says that he went after us when we were still sinners, when there was nothing lovable about us, that God went after us. He delights in us, and he cherishes us. And the Father wants us to know how valuable we are to him, why he created us, and what he has in mind for us. You know, when babies are born, okay, don't anybody get offended, but they're kind of ugly. Don't come and show me your pictures of your babies or your grandbabies and say, not my baby. I, I'm just telling you, when they're first born, they look kind of wrinkly like you know, little old men. Carl, don't get offended about that either. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Carl. Carl and I are buddies, I can say that. Um, but every parent and grandparent thinks their child is so beautiful. And you can't tell them otherwise. There's no way. Why do they think that? Because they're looking through eyes of love. They're looking through eyes of love. That is their baby. They didn't even have to be born to them physically. Could be an adopted child, could be a foster child. That's their child. And I believe that their love for that child makes that child beautiful. They really do. And that child becomes what that parent sees, the beautiful person that 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 child is. And God sees us through eyes of love. And if we would let him tell us that and accept that, we become that beautiful person that he sees. Here's a scripture that's going to help us. If you, want to do your, if you want to do your own identity protection program, if you want to change your identity, here's a scripture that I'm going to give you that is easy for us to think about, and we can think about it all day long. It can change the way that we see ourselves. John 17, 23, this is Jesus speaking. And he's talking to all his followers. But it wasn't just for those disciples. He's talking to all the people uh, that are going to follow him. And he said that the world will be convinced, he's talking to the Father, that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. So what is that saying? God loves Dave with the same passionate love with which he loves Jesus Christ. God loves Leanne with the same passionate love that he loves Jesus Christ. And you're all okay with me using these examples, but talk about, make it you. God loves me. Make it personal. With the same passionate love that he loves Jesus Christ with. So I challenge you, if you want to start changing your identity, before you go to bed at night, instead of looking back with regret about anything that you did wrong during the day or forward with anxiety, instead, if you would just Quietly think to yourself, the Father loves me right now just as much as he loves Jesus Christ. And if you would just let that come in and absorb it in your heart, it will change you. Um, I need some help for this next part. Can I have you four that are on the front row here come up on the stage? Help me out. We're going to do an object lesson. It's Family Sunday, so... All right. Okay. So, Mark and Cindy and Peggy, come here. Mark and Cindy and Peggy. Peggy. Oh, there's two Cindy's. Cindy Miller. uh Sorry. There's a Cindy and there's a Cindy. So, you're going to be the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Are you okay with that? Yeah. All right. So, when we talk about God is love, He was love eternally. God's eternal. His nature has never changed. He's always been love. He's always going to be love. So what does that mean, God is loved, before there were human beings for him to love or angels or anything else? It means that the Godhead, the Trinity, loved one another. The Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Son and the Father. You get what I'm talking about. With intense, passionate love, they love one another. So I'm going to show this with this kind of group hug here. All right, kind of do a huddle, kind of do a huddle. Mark, this is your wife, and this is your mother-in-law. Okay. all right, all right, that's great. Now, stay right there. Okay. so they love each other intensely. And they didn't have to, but they decided, can you guys open your arms up right here, to invite in us. Into that love. Yeah. We are invited into that love, that intense love. Not because God had to. He he was fine loving them. They were great. But he wanted us to experience the intense love that they have for one another. And see, it's not dependent on Cindy being good enough. This love is not dependent on her being great enough. The love is the nature of God. All it depends on is her receiving and coming into that wonderful love. Isn't that awesome? Have a seat. Thank you, guys. Yeah, give them a hand. That's awesome. So there's this unbreakable triangle of love in the Trinity that we are invited into and. Once we accept Jesus as our Savior, there's no, we don't ever have to be outside of that, ever. Ever. No matter what we do, all we have to do is to receive and accept that love. And God is never going to change. It would violate his nature for him to stop loving us. It would actually violate who he is for him to stop loving us. It's not based on our performance. That love is not based on our performance. It's based on his character, which is totally unchangeable. That's why you can take it to the bank that God loves you. And that's why you can allow yourself to feel that love and to accept that love, even when you don't feel very lovable. Here's a story again from, uh, they call him Father G, Father Greg, about a homie named Cesar. And the backstory story is, um, he had known Cesar when he was a little boy, and he didn't have hardly any supervision, just kind of left on his own since he was a little kid. It had a real tender heart, though. Ended up in a gang, then he ended up in the penitentiary, and Father G kind of kept up with him and stayed in touch with him, encouraged him. Well, he gets out, and he calls him up. Father Calls up, Father G, I need some clothes so I can go out get a job and so takes him to J C Penneys and they go get a bunch of clothes and anyway he, he had gone from being a little boy a long time ago to a really big guy and he'd been working out in the gym so he had big muscles and he's all tatted up he's pretty scary looking you know and he's messing kind of with people at the store just just to mess with them you know he thought that was pretty funny and so they get him all situated well I'm going to read to you what happens that night when the phone rings and the language is just a little bit salty. It's not bad, but I'm going to read it from how he wrote it. He says, at 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings, and it's Caesar. and he says what every homie says when they call in the middle of the night. Did I wake you? I always think, why, no, I was just waiting and hoping that you'd call. Caesar is sober, and it's urgent that he talk to me. I got to ask you a question. You know how I've always seen you as my father ever since I was a little kid. Well, I have to ask you a question. Now says our pauses, and the gravity of it all makes his voice waver and crumble. Have I, have I been your son? Oh, hell yeah, I say. Whew, says our exhales. I thought so. And now his voice becomes enmeshed in a cadence of gentle sobbing. Then I will be your son, and you, you will be my father, and nothing will separate us, right? That's right. And Father Greg wrote, In this early morning call, Cesar did not discover that he had a father. He discovered that he is a son worth having. He felt himself beloved. God, wonderfully pleased in him, is where God wanted Cesar to reside. I love it. so beautiful. God wants us to know that we reside in the middle of his heart. Jesus said that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. When God speaks to us, it comes out of the abundance of his heart of love. Remember what we've been talking about what love is the last few weeks. We've been talking about how it's kind and it's humble and it's gentle and it's joyful, and it's peaceful, and it's good, and it's faithful, and it always believes the best in us. It affirms us. So are the voices that you're hearing about your life, those things? Are they kind and gentle and peaceful and joyful and affirming and believing the best of you? Or are they critical and hard and judgmental and condemning? That's not the voice of God. It has to line up with love. It can't not be from love if it's from God. And we talked a few weeks ago about what blocks that, about how we talk to ourselves, lots and lots of words a day, and, and the vast majority, three quarters of it at least, is negative and self-critical, and things that we tell ourselves like, you know, I'm so bad at this. I can't believe I did that. I'm not a good person. I'm a failure. I should do this better. I should be a better person. All these things that, if they're continually going on in our mind and our heart, it's going to be very difficult to grab hold of and get on the frequency of what God is saying to us that we're His chosen, that we're the ones that He loves, that he, we're the ones that He went after. But we want to get on that frequency. We don't want to stop until we hear that voice. We want to be brave like Cesar was and say, Am I your son? Am I your daughter? Are you never going to leave me? I'll just tell you personally, I've been, when I've been listening to the Father, when I've been taking time to listen to him, he's just been talking to me about how connected he is to me, that he's not ever going to fail me that he's always there for me that we're in covenant that we are you know those are just the things that he's telling me and I can read that in his word and know it's true but then when he speaks it in my heart when I hear those thoughts there's just something very very powerful about that there's a lot of self-hatred going on in the world it's causing a lot of problems because we can't love one another if we don't love ourselves and there's even a lot in the body of Christ Unfortunately, but it doesn't have to be that way. Our woundedness that we receive when we sin or we've been sinned against makes us feel really ugly and unlovable. And we have to let God speak to us his healing word that gives us our identity of who we really are. A few uh, weeks ago, Dave and I watched... Um, uh, NFL life of Brett Favre. Number four, Green Bay pa- Packers. Um, even if you don't know much about football, you might be familiar with him, he's kind of a legend. But uh, he didn't start out that way. He wasn't really a child prodigy, he kind of struggled a little bit. But his dad was a football coach, his dad was his idol, so powerful of an influence in his life. And I think he was in high school one time, and he didn't do very well in a game. Um, And his dad didn't say anything negative to him, but he said to somebody else, and Brett just overheard it, he said, I know my son, I know he will redeem himself. And that's all it took. When he heard those words of what his dad believed about him, that he would do better, that he would redeem himself, Man, that's all. That's all it took. He just worked his butt off, and he got so tough. He was in college, and he was in a near fatal car accident. And they cut. He was the starting quarterback for Southern Mississippi, and they cut thirty inches of his intestines out. And five weeks later, this was during football season. Five weeks later, he was on the field, leading his team in an upset against Alabama. That is one tough kid. And I think that the, the impetus in his life, the motivation in his life was his father's words, his father's belief in him, his father giving him that identity. Uh, that's pretty amazing to me, but just think, as good as his earthly father maybe was, how much more powerful it is for the heavenly father to believe in us, for us to actually listen to what he has to say about us, and to be- him to believe the best of us, because he does. He does believe the best of you and me. So as we wrap this up before we receive communion today, just three quick things. How can we allow God to love us more? Because we know it's not a shortage on his end. How can we allow God to love us more? We can get familiar with his voice through his word. We can get familiar with his voice through the word of God. And as we do that, always ask the Holy Spirit as you are looking at God's word to give you revelation, to let you see things through the eyes of love. Even the Old Testament, you can see a God of love if you allow the Holy Spirit to give you revelation in that. But God wants us to become familiar with his voice. The more that we know his word, the easier it will be to receive the voice of the Lord in our hearts. Just as I was saying that Scripture in John 17 is a great place to start to meditate on that and let that just roll around on the inside of you. That's what the Father sounds like. Number two is we got to ask for truth. I've been asking the Holy Spirit, okay, can you please show me when I am believing lies and listening to criticism against myself that I need to confront that with the truth? It might seem real. It might seem, yeah, I, I didn't do so great. That's true, but what is God saying about that? He's he's wanting to give me encouragement, and that's what I need to be listening for. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and we know the truth, and what does the truth do? Sets us free. We know the truth about ourselves, and we think, oh, I don't want to know the truth about myself. No, what God says is truth about you. That's the truth that sets you free. And then third, make time to listen. We have to believe that God's going to talk to us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And that was the series we did previous to this. So you could go back and watch those if you, have a, if you missed it. But we need to hear his voice. It's going to sound like thoughts coming from the inside of us. Not going to be an audible voice, probably. And it's going to come from a place that's deep inside of us. And it's going to tell us things that we would dare not think about ourselves. It's because most of us are so self-critical. But we have to allow ourselves to hear that and to listen to it. And then when you hear those things, write them down. Keep a journal. And then when you're feeling discouraged, go back and read that journal. And you're like, wow, look at what God said to me. That's so encouraging. This is how we can change our identity.